Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Wednesday, July the 7th. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Welcome in. Nice week off for the fourth from yours truly. Uh, but wanted to get right back at it today. A couple of house cleaning notes. I guess you call it house cleaning general stuff, I guess. Uh, number one, JC and Morgan podcast has dropped for this week. We had Phil Steele on. Uh, you guys would enjoy, I think, what he had to say about the Gamecocks and his national championship predictions. He uh, picked Oklahoma. Of course, Oklahoma lost a, a player today, I think, to a disciplinary uh, reason. This was recorded yesterday, so news travels fast. I, I feel bad for Phil having to put together a, um, a magazine in the age of the transfer portal. We talk about that as well, plus Mike and I dig into some SEC things, kind of look at the West and the East. It's going to be an interesting year, I think. Um, this is another one of those years where I don't know who to pick last in the West. <laughs> uh, it seems to be that way. Probably going to be Arkansas, but um, – you know, shoot, Arkansas, had they had a normal schedule last year, probably would have won six, seven games. So uh, you got the Pirate and you got Lane Kiffin at the Mississippis, uh, Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. We talked about him a lot. That's significant because the Gamecocks play them every year. Um, don't know what to make of Auburn, uh, but I think a lot of people kind of feel that way right now about Auburn. So anyway, it's a good listen. You can get it on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, that podcast, um, this one sort of has more limited distribution than that one. That one's, I don't know how iHeartRadio picked it up. Audible, you can get it on Audible. You can get this one on Audible too. But uh, anyway, there's the deal there. want to start off by uh, saying that this segment of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast is brought to you by Heritage Digital. Are you sick and tired of your business's computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but are still having constant problems, slowness, or other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? Does your head hurt from having to deal with the hassles? If this describes your situation, call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital, 843-664-8989. It's an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Nobody's happy when the computer doesn't work, folks. Believe me. I'm in my worst mood when something happens with the site on thebigspur.com. I'm in a terrible mood when that happens. So whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage Digital will make sure your business isn't bogged down by the IT issues that impact your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. They will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your network works correctly all the time for one low monthly fee with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage Digital has you covered. Again, if you're sick and tired of constant computer and network issues, call Matt Odom right now, Heritage Digital, 843-664-8989 and get rid of the issues negatively impacting your business once and for all. It's a turnkey solution, folks. I know many of you are business owners. I know how much it sucks when the internet or whatever, the network isn't working. Uh, believe me, I I've been fortunate that, that uh, for the most part, in my experience, uh, you know, I've had pretty good guys backing me up. When we first started the Big Spur, uh, maybe not so much. But um, that uh, that changed over time with the good folks 24-7 and CBS and all that. So, uh, anyway, get the, get uh, give Matthew Odom a call. Uh, Heritage Digital, the sponsor of this segment. Okay, South Carolina basketball. And I would describe this as a kind of under the – and everybody's like, ah, oh, Frank Martin under the radar recruiting, definitely. But, but I would say this may be a sneaky good get. Josh Gray transfers in from LSU. And this is a guy that the staff really, really wanted out of high school. He's a post player. Uh, how it was kind of explained to me was, you know, because he didn't do much at LSU. LSU kind of plays their post players a little different than Frank Martin. Uh, we've discussed this before, Keith Alsep and I, about how, you know, most of Frank's better teams do have big-time post guys because and they run the offense through. So I think this guy's pretty good. He's from Brooklyn, New York, um, plays with, with some toughness. I, I This may be one of those things that happens late 
you don't really circle. And then all of a sudden here's Josh Gray having a pretty good year. So I don't know, you know, semi big pickup, maybe under the radar. I know you're rolling your eyes because a lot of you don't want to hear about Frank Martin's under the radar gifts, but Josh Gray has a chance to be pretty good in the post. And then you got Manak and Levette still Manat and Levesque still there. That's a mouthful. Uh, and so, you know, AJ Wilson's coming in from George Mason. He's a big defensive guy, rebounder. So it's coming together. Uh, Frank Martin's meeting with the media today. I probably have a, uh, you know, some thoughts about that certainly at some point, but uh, yeah, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, South Carolina's football recruiting class, number 14 nationally, number five in the SEC right now. Um, I wanted to explain this because I, and look, we got a huge mailbag today. The iHelp Consulting mailbag is overflowing with questions, and I'm going to answer them all today. So this is going to be a short news and notes segment, and we'll get into that. But I do have a question about that, and I'm going to go ahead and address it right here. The uh, Emory Floyd commits over the weekend. Uh, Saturday, he's a 6'1", 170-pound defensive back from Powder Springs, Georgia, runs 10, 500 meter. I had a lot of offer, like a lot of Georgia kids at times had some offers early that were not committable. Georgia backed off. I don't know what Auburn did with him. It looked like he was going to Auburn for a while. Florida remains interested, but his composite, everybody's sort of updating rankings right now because the elite 11's over and all that. And, and so his composite ranking dropped from four-star to three-star. Now, look, he was on the border. He was like 0.8988. And I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm not saying whoever's out there moving him down and moving Ryan Brubaker down on the offensive line. I mean, I talked to a an FCS football coach the other day that raved about Ryan Brubaker. So, you know, sometimes beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Uh, and there was also conflicting information coming out of Penn State as to whether or not they wanted him. I think some coaches on that staff weren't all that fired up and some were. So, I mean, he was a legacy and still a take. So I don't know if that, if, why that would overrule, you know, whatever South Carolina thinks, but I, I think that's kind of, um, you know, one of those things that we don't, you know, maybe happen subconsciously at times. I don't know. I'm not defending it. Uh, Cause I, I you know, I, I just, I'm not a big fan of this kid commits here and wasn't a take, so therefore we drop him. Um, I, I just I, – I, I think that there's so many examples of player. I mean, you know, J.C. Horn was the top. And I'll, I'll use a Gamecock example. I could use more. Uh, but I'll use a Gamecock example since this is a Gamecock podcast. J.C. Horn, three-star guy by 24-7, questions about his speed, allegedly. Um and uh, and I and and I'm not going to bash our guys at 24/7. I understand, you know, they they do their job and they work hard, and I got great respect for them. I used to do that job. It's not easy. So you know, he ends up being the first defensive player taken in the draft. Um, I'm sure that the three-star linebacker from Kentucky that got drafted in the first round uh, from Georgia, you know, was a guy that you know no offers didn't rate him very high. Uh, so, so this kind of thing, I mean, I'm not a fan of it at all. Uh, but I also think, you know, that there's some, I mean, you're like Antonio kite. Uh, I think Alabama's decided they want him. And if there were questions about him, they've been answered. It's not just because Alabama wants him. It's there's tangible reasons why, you know, they work people out and, and do it. And I don't have a problem with that. You know, a, a program like Alabama, you know, everybody talks about the Bama bump. I don't think that even exists. I think what you want to do as an evaluator is get it right uh, in terms of the, you know, where this guy may go in the draft and Antonio Kite when you watch him. He's an explosive player. He's really good. Uh, and you want to be right about that kid. You don't want to have him underrated. So, you know, I, I, I'm just not like a huge fan of, you know, some of these schools not named Alabama or Ohio State or somebody like that saying, ah, well, they passed, so – Therefore, this guy's not ranked very high. Um, you know, school's backed off, whatever. He's going to South Carolina. But, I mean, I, I just I – mean, some of these schools saw something in him to offer him, you know. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I mean, 10, 500-meter guy, I, I'm not dropping that guy. I, I just uh, – I'm just not dropping him. 
because uh, I, I think that's extremely fast for a DB. He can play corner. He can play safety. He can play nickel. Um, I'm just not dropping that guy. I don't know who did. I mean, it. it I don't think it was 24-7 because he was an 88 before he committed to South Carolina. It's probably one of the other two networks, but I'm just not – you know, guy commits, then he drops, then let's let the conspiracy theories go. You know, I'm just not a big fan of that. But anyway, he did drop, and, uh, you know, I, I I don't have a lot. I've not found out why, uh, and I'm not that I'm not connected to other networks like, you know, Rivals and ESPN and those guys. But uh, I know our guys did not drop him. They had him in 88 to begin with. So we'll see what happens. I, I think there's a chance Case and Henry can move up. Uh, in the rankings, I think uh, there's a chance some other guys could move up. I, I don't, you know, Braden Davis was a guy whose stock has moved down somewhat per some. Uh, he did not make the Elite 11, but he went to the Under Armour Future 50. And our guy, Greg Biggins, who I trust on the West Coast, he was out there and said the kid looked pretty good. So I, I don't know that Braden Davis is going to drop below four stars. Who knows? Maybe he will because uh, ESPN has him pretty high. Uh, but anyway, that's the best I can explain all that. Um, again, I always take, and I'm going to say this, good or bad, South Carolina's looking good, 14th in the country in recruiting, 5th in the SEC. That's daggum good right now. Um, but it's where you finish. It's, all, it's always where you finish. And then it's not just where you finish in, in one class. It's really an overtime kind of thing. And then you throw in evaluations and development. I mean, there, there's a lot more to it than just an arbitrary number. Uh, but, heck, I, I'll tell you right now, from a momentum standpoint, you, you take you take 14 and fifth in the SEC right now if you're South Carolina. Because right now, coaching change, you had COVID, uh, you were 2-8, and eight, you've lost 19 of 27 football games. You know, any kind of positive thing you can point toward, and this is one thing Shane Beamer's done a great job of, uh, any kind of positive thing you can point toward, you need to. And uh, that's certainly a positive thing right now. So we got all that out of the way. Uh, again, Josh Gray, I think, could be a sneaky good pickup for Frank Martin and the basketball team. I know go ahead and roll your eyes because some of you don't want to hear that, but uh, – that's just kind of the way it is. Uh, one more thing I want to mention, and, and we'll talk more about NIL, name, image, likeness, on this podcast as this month moves forward. But I want to mention this. I'm not a fan of what Miami is doing uh, or the, uh, the gym owners in Miami, Lambert, and those guys. Got great respect for MMA. Got great respect for Lambert and, and what he's doing. I think this is kind of a – the wrong way to do it. You know, what they're saying is if you're a Miami football player, you're part of our endorsement deal. We're going to give you X amount, regardless of who you are uh, on the roster. I think that, and you hear some of the talk about, well, we're trying to get Miami back and help them recruit or whatever. I think that violates the spirit of the law or the, the rule or, or, or the decision to do this. I think what NIL is all about is allowing student athletes to go get their worth uh, in terms of endorsements and, and, and things of that nature. And, and I think when you put an artificial, arbitrary number on it, I mean, are you telling me De'Eric King, their quarterback at Miami, uh, fetches just as much as the fourth-string kicker on the roster? See, that's not that's artificially done, in my opinion. Um, there needs to be some sort of scale for it. And, you know, you want to – divvy that money up among the whole roster, that's fine, but you're giving everybody the same amount. I'm, I just, I don't know. Uh, and, and then you get into the question of how can a hundred guys, you know, realistically help your business? Uh, or is it just that you're trying to help Miami to recruit? And that seems to be what the, the, the issue is. So I don't know. We'll talk more about that. Um, that's the first thing I've sort of seen that uh, causes sort of a red flag for me. Uh, I'm sure there will be more. Uh, I'm not a person that does not want NIL to happen. I'm a person that, you know, believes in a free market. And, you know, the fact that Eric Douglas can go monetize his YouTube channel now, I think is a positive thing. And, and that was announced South Carolina. Uh, apparently he's a, a video gamer. And for those of you that are older like me, you're like, how do people play video games and record them on YouTube and monetize it? Believe me, it happens. 
it's to the point where kids are growing up now wanting to be YouTubers, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, I've known some kids like that. So it's, uh, I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm totally okay with the women's basketball players being on cameo. I, I you know, I, I think that's great. Uh, I think that kind of thing is perfect. Uh, for for what this is all about, I, I, I am not a fan of businesses walk marching in and saying, all of a sudden, blatantly, we're going to help this team recruit, because I don't. I think it's much more of an individual thing than a blanket kind of deal. And so we'll talk more about that later. All right, time for a, my a massive I help consulting mailbag. If you're a business owner, and look, this is different than Heritage Digital. Heritage Digital get your internet and your systems working properly. So you save time, you save money, productivity, that kind of thing. I help consulting is more of a blanket thing that will help your money. I mean, their only mission is to help your business save money on expenses. So this is, if you're paying too much for credit card processing, for internet, for insurance, anything else, I help can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. That's very important. And remember, if I help can't save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. That's right. If they can't help your business, it's no cost to you. So call or text Daniel Owens at iHelp 843-372-5713 or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That's Daniel at 843-372-5713. iHelp Consulting. How can I help you? Proud sponsors of the mailbag. And I didn't mean to double up on ads there the first 15 minutes, but like I said, we have a massive iHelp Consulting mailbag today. And had to get Heritage Digital out of the way. So and don't don't start thinking that this is going to be every 15 minutes. I'm sitting there, hey, come come buy this or come buy that. I do appreciate our sponsors, though. And those are going to be the sponsors from now on outside of like a shout out or something that uh, maybe one of you guys won't because I, I don't want this to become a gigantic advertisement. I, I, I like the, the fact that, you know, we can talk, but it is a free product. I mean, you don't. This is not something that's behind a paywall. So you, you got to sort of monetize it however you can. So uh, this is going to be pretty good. All right. So there's two ways to get an iHelp Consulting mailbag. You can tweet to us at the Big Spur Pod. Uh, and that's a good one. A good way to do. We got several of those. And then um, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. So let's rock and roll. Golfcock said, All right. So David says, how do you see the NIL working out on a fair level? Who oversees and manages a fair distribution among all athletes, as well as across different schools that would not create a huge gap between blue bloods and other schools? Should there be a max a student can make and a surplus is distributed among everybody? Thanks for taking the question. I, I, I don't agree. I don't think that. I, I think what people need to do is they just need to pass a blanket rule. You cannot use NIL as a, a above board recruiting tool. In other words, you can't like the Miami thing. You can't have a business go out and say, uh, Hey, look, we're going to help Miami recruit and just give everybody money. <laughs> that That's not the spirit of the rule, but it needs to be fair. And, and, and look, I don't, I don't think you need to equally distribute it among people. Uh, I, I think it's, it's a, it's a meritocracy when you're talking about things like this. Um, you know, and, and when we get into, equal distribution and um, everybody gets a cookie and all that, you know, that's when it opens up for cheating because you're a recruit. Well, heck, I, I, you know, at this school, you know, that they give good endorsement deals to their best players, but I could sign with this one and pocket five grand right away. Um, I think it needs to be about merit. I think it needs to be, uh, about, you know, brand worthiness. Uh, I think uh, it needs to be about how can that player help you do that? And I also think the things the players do on their own is important too, like like Eric Douglas and his YouTube channel. There's no way in hell, excuse my language, or heck, <laughs> that uh, Eric Douglas shouldn't be able to monetize his YouTube channel while he's giving tips on video games. There's no way Colton Gothier shouldn't be able to go play a gig playing guitar and do it. And yes, maybe some, because they're football players, fans will drop in and take care of them monetarily and all that. You can't avoid that. But when you have a business that blanketly says, all right, we're going to 
give half a million to the U every year and everybody's getting a cut, you know, what did, what did the four string kicker do to earn that endorsement deal besides coming to university of Miami? Uh, and look, I'm not a Miami hater. Uh, I, I kind of, I have a good friend of mine that we always talk about the U and how it would be great if they came back. And, you know, we, I think it's a, a great success story because they take, um, they take those kids from South Florida, you know, they, they kind of recruit their area. Uh, there's obviously great tradition there before they joined the ACC. Uh, they got worse when they joined the SEC, ACC, by the way, I don't know. I don't know quite how that happens, but uh, you know, when they're in a the big East is a different story, but um, uh, you know, I, I'm not a hater uh, about with them and, and, and their position in college football, and what they need to do. I, I just, I just think when you start saying, all right, everybody gets some, then that's when it becomes recruiting because that means all you got to do is join the program. You don't have to earn anything. Uh, and, and I think this NIL thing is about, you know, getting what you're worth, getting what you're worth. And I, I honestly don't think that anybody, five-star, four-star, whoever, uh, you know, outside of a freshman quarterback that comes in and sets the world on fire like Trevor Lawrence, which is rare, you know, and and only after he does it, I don't think there's anybody that's worth a big endorsement deal coming out, five-star, four-star, whatever. Because in college football, those five-stars aren't necessarily the guys that end up being great. Half of them do. So you're going you're to take your chances and spend your money on something that has a 50% chance of working out. So – Anyway, that's the not the only NIL question I have. Thank you for the question, David. I don't think it's going to create a gap between Blue Bloods and other programs because I think I think you're going to have some schools like Northwestern and Georgia Tech and Southern Cal who are in major media markets, UCLA, uh, Washington, you know, that that the, you know, University of Texas that end up playing it to their advantage if they can get past the hey, what exactly is this we're doing? Um, but you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Uh, golf cocks, Jim says. Can the O line become a force so that Doty can find receivers and allow the receivers to finally come into their own? That's part one of the question. Um, I think the O line could be pretty good. I, I think obviously when you look at the last three years, the the line in 2019. They had some injuries, and I think we kind of knew that line wasn't going to be great. But uh, they did open some holes at times for, for the run game, and uh, I thought the protection was okay. I thought the 2018 offensive line was one of the best they've had. Uh, they protected Jake Bentley pretty well that year, and, you know, South Carolina had injuries at running back, but they, you know, look, they had enough for where to where – you know, Mon Denson scraped out some yards. Turner, Dowdle when he was in. Um, so, so you know, I, I don't know that it's on the O-line as far as the success of the receivers. All the receivers have warts. And what I mean by that is you look and you break them down, and then there's weaknesses each of them need to work on to become complete players. And, and they know that. Uh, and, and I'm not going to sit here and beat up on them all summer because uh, they know that, people are saying, hey, South Carolina's receivers are, are an issue. Um, and I, I don't think that anything transpired outside of Dakari and Joyner in the spring to make people feel otherwise. But I, I do think when you look at some of these guys, they've got physical ability. Uh, some of them are young, Jakari Caldwell, Rico Powers, those guys are second-year guys. So I, I don't know. Um, I do think that um, – you know, I, I do think there's a chance, but I, I don't want to put the success of the receivers on the offensive line or the success of Luke Doty. I, I think that, you know, Doty's going to have to be protected like any other quarterback, but uh, I don't think it's all on the O-line. Uh, second part of Jim's question, can the D-line create enough problems to allow the secondary to grow and mature during the season? Now, this this could be something. Um, and I think Kiran Pronti joining the team – and we had a little uh, tidbit in the VIP room about this on the Big Spur. I talked to a source out at Kansas who was at Kansas, Les Miles staff, 
And they said, you know, some guys you look at and you're like, well, if they do this and this, they can play in the league. Um, K-Ron Prunty was a guy they thought from the beginning was an NFL guy. Uh, so I think that's going to help. But you, you make an interesting point. I think South Carolina, when you look at their personnel, it's not just in the pass rushing department. It, it, it's not just, hey, I hope this guy works out. Or, you know, like Jordan, they're not just hanging everything on Jordan Burge to make a big jump from freshman year to second freshman year, as it is, uh, and go in and, and have 13 sacks like Jadevian Clowney or, or whoever Jadevian did his second year. Um, there's a blend of potential guys and then proven guys. I mean, J.J. Enigbare, Aaron Sterling, those are proven pass rushers on the SEC level. Uh, Jordan Strong is a proven pass rusher on the group of five level. He's, but he's proven. Um, need to get a push from the middle in the pass rushing department, but Zach Pickens is equipped to do that. Uh, and some of those other guys, you know, Taka Hemingway moving inside that you, you wait and see that's going to, that ups the ante on the interior. Uh, and I think with this defense with Clayton White's system and you kind of go back and watch it, there's a lot of creativity in terms of blitz packages and things like that, that was not shown during the spring game for good reason. And, uh, you know, so I, I think if they can get creative and, it, and if these guys can continue to produce, uh, and I'm not naive enough to think, hey, nobody needs to get any better. South Carolina's D-line has arrived because that's the furthest thing from the truth. But I think you get the interior fundamentally better uh, and your pass rushers, Enigbare, uh, Jordan Strong, Aaron Sterling, Jordan Birch, you know, those guys start making some noise and it starts to get a little tricky for opposing offenses, uh, especially, you know, you're, you're not always going to face great offensive lines in the Southeastern Conference. You know, um, I was looking at some other teams today. Auburn's still worried about their D-O, their O-line. I think we they've been talking about that for a couple of years now. Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher actually said, he told Phil Steele that, he thinks that offensive line will be better, but they do replace a bunch of starters. He thinks this year's probably got more NFL talent on it, which is not a surprise considering how they've been recruiting. But, uh, you know, you're not always going to face the cream of the crop offensive line-wise with the schedule South Carolina plays. You are going to face great defensive lines. Um, and, and so it's interesting. I, I don't want to tell you that, yeah, the D-line is going to stop in and step in and save the day because the secondary is going to have to cover at least and be ball hawks. And then there's the linebacker issue. That position has got to get healthy. Um, otherwise teams are just going to line up and run it on you. <laughs> but, um, you know, so we'll see, we'll see. I, I think there's a chance there uh, for that to happen. And a D line that's really good can be a secondary's best friend as we've seen over the years. Bullheaded says, Hey JC, you think with another NIL question, do you think with the new image and likeness rule being passed, it somewhat closes the – so here's a different take. It somewhat closes the gap for mid-tier schools to compete. Which sport benefits more? Heard basketball players could potentially get shoe deals separate from their school apparel deal. I don't think that's the case. Um, and if it is, that's going uh, to cause some problems. Um, <laughs> uh, I would think that a qualification for your scholarship is all your apparel and stuff is exclusive to the school you're with. Um, and I also don't think it seems like there's something written into the, into the deal where, in other words, like South Carolina under armor and Nike can't directly come in and cut a deal with the university for all their players. Um, now I did see an Oregon football player cut a deal for something. I think it had to do with Nike too, but, uh, anyway, you know, I, I, I don't, I would think that would be a qualification for your scholarship is you have to wear the gear we've got period. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know that, that that's one of those things that could get really tricky. Uh, I do think in basketball, if it's done the right way and I got finished, just got finished talking, I think in basketball, it impacts more. Uh, if you think about basketball, you have such a limited amount of players and, and you also know, much more accurately, like, okay, so Zion Williamson, I think we knew within 18 months of that kid committing to Duke uh, or a year, he's going to be a multimillionaire and going to have tremendous 
brand marketing ability. Uh, in basketball, it's, you know, they identify the top guys. And and sometimes, you know, you'll have a guy that, you know, Kwame Brown was the number one player in the country. He didn't, um, you know, he didn't, uh, I guess, pan out in that way. Had a lot of interesting things to say about Michael Jordan and the Wizards. <laughs> but, you know, he still lasted how many, 12 years, and he's got, millions of dollars so you're you're still within that range some football guys that are five stars don't even they don't even get invited to a training camp that's how different the two sports are in terms of projecting so that's the thing I, I do think and we'll talk about this later I think we could talk about um baseball in a lot of ways so Daniel says hey JC what's the benefit to a player being a preferred walk-on is there a limit to how many you could sign I'm glad the staff is putting a focus on it. Seems like a no lose situation. Thanks in advance. Yeah, and I, and I think with COVID last year, some of some of our friends at the FCS schools maybe were a little behind the eight ball. They didn't get a Shrine Bowl or anything to evaluate guys. And I think South Carolina, like the receiver from AC Flora, that that kid is good enough to to have gotten a scholarship to a Furman or even a Coastal. I think. But as it stands, he's a walk-on. So uh, preferred walk-ons are guys that can come in before class starts. Uh, in other words, August 1st happens. Your preferred walk-on guys could be part of, I think it's a limit of 100 and something, 100, maybe 105. So there's like 20 to play with there. And then you can go up to 120 once school starts with just regular old walk-ons. Uh, and so that's that's kind of the limitation. It's not signing necessarily. It's just – when can these guys start practice? And, you know, so it's either the first or like when school starts the 20th. Uh, thanks for the question, Daniel. That was uh, really good in my opinion. And something that I don't always have a great grasp on the whole walk on thing, but this staff is putting a, you know, putting a premium on it. And I mean, I think that's Shane Beamer doing what his dad did, to be honest. I think that, you know, Virginia tech had a really good walk on program. All right, David says, J.C., happy fourth. Do you think South Carolina will take a run at King McWooda? Sounds like he could be a very good player in the future and help the linebacker depth. Thank you. Uh, King is an edge player, uh, I think, in South Carolina's system. That said, do I think he's talented and, and a guy that they could – yeah, but I haven't heard anything about them moving in on him. So, um, you know, we'll see sort of – uh, what happens with that. But I, I I don't think he's sort of like Jacquez Jones from Ole Miss that ended up going to Kentucky. That's the kind of guy, you know, tackling machine, guy that can step in and take Ernest Jones's place. I, I don't know that – I think King may be more of an edge guy or something. Uh, but we'll see. I, I never rule anything out. So, Justin says, I hope you had a great holiday weekend. That said, I showed a Florida fan, family member – some highlights of the last few years, Gamecock related. He pointed out Jake Bentley's talent as a freshman and asked what happened to him. I didn't have an answer. I also realized Jake had more plays in his freshman year. Give me an answer for my uncle who gives me hell being a Gamecock. Well, I don't know. Yeah, you look at Jake Bentley versus Kyle Trask and the development of the two. I, I think Jake, I think number one, I, I think, you know, in the Kurt Roper era, uh, you know, 2017, I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of questions about what exactly they were trying to do. And maybe if Jake had too much on him that season, you know, he was not a guy that, you know, had a lot of experience coming in, smart kid, good. And, but I, I, you know, I, I kind of look at it and you're like, well, you know, 2018, obviously he had some down games, but I think a lot of people, you know, don't they all they remember like the Kentucky game, but they don't remember the Tennessee game when Tennessee, who kind of had some momentum because they had just beaten Auburn, had Carolina down 21 9, and Jake let them back. I don't think they remember the Ole Miss game 48 44. Uh, obviously, that Clemson game they lost, but Jake had a really good game. That wasn't Jake's fault. They lost that one. Um, so. You know, what happened? I don't know. I think his story is yet to be complete. He's got one year at South Alabama um, on that level. And, 
you know, look, things didn't go well at Utah at times. It was that same kind of like some games great, some games not. But, uh, you know, that was a ridiculous year, too, because of COVID uh, out there in the Pac-12. So who knows? Who knows? I, I'll just say the story has yet to be written. The kid is one of the top statistical quarterbacks in the history of the program. And really, he's won, he won 19 games, which is on the high end when you talk about starting quarterbacks. I know he had some games he didn't play well. Uh, I know that I thought first-round draft pick, and, I mean, your, your Florida fan family member probably thought the same thing. I mean, he came in and made a huge difference, that 2016 team. He, you know, that, that offense went from pedestrian to good against the teams that they weren't totally overwhelmed by like Clemson and Florida. Uh, and that wasn't Jake's fault either. So, I, you know, who, who knows what will happen. I, I think they're, you know, just like the Will Muschamp era, you're going to go back and sort of autopsy that at some point, what went wrong. Uh, I think you can go back and autopsy Jake Bentley's career as well. So, you know, I, I think that's it. FQ South Carolina complained about the daggum rankings. I addressed that earlier. Uh, and, and Justin says, why does it seem like it happens a lot? It, 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 it doesn't actually, but I understand it does with, with Gamecock fans. I mean, right now there needs to be positivity. Uh, the program needs it. I think a lot of you guys have gotten behind the positivity. And, and, and so anything like this, it's just it kind of, you know, rains on the parade a little bit. So I understand, but it, it actually doesn't happen a ton. Cox School says, wondering which game on the schedule this year that we will be an underdog that you would say are our most likely upset. I'm going to say, you know, I, and it's hard because you're going from staff to staff. And some staffs, you know, they're like, well, they always play this team pretty good. And then they don't always play this team pretty good. Um, so you're going from staff to staff. But I think mean, the Gamecocks have played Florida pretty well, all things considered, the last three years. And then they beat them in 2017. Um, Gators lost – I think they only returned five starters on offense. Uh, Totally different quarterback style. Um, The game is in Columbia in November, kind of where it normally is. You don't have to go to the Swamp Week 2. South Carolina's had them on the ropes a couple times. So I I would circle Florida – uh, but I'd also take a look at that Auburn game, too. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen between now and November 20th with Auburn and South Carolina. Uh, and it's interesting because the game is the week before the Clemson game and the week before the Iron Bowl for them. So it's kind of a funky time on the schedule. Uh, and which game could you be favored in? It could be a surprise loss. Dare I say East Carolina? You know, I don't want to see East Carolina, but uh, if you want one that I kind of look at and go, eh, you know, if things things aren't clicking right, you know, that could that could you know you turn it over a bunch, that could be a disaster up there. And I know their fans will show up. Mike Houston was talking the other day. We all know the Gamecock fans think he's a really good coach because of what he did at Citadel, and um, he's won everywhere he's been. I look at ECU though. Excuse me. I look at ECU though, and and I think maybe they're st- they're still kind of a year away for being that giant killer. Now they open with App State on a Thursday, and I believe that game's in Charlotte. So I, I think we'll know a little bit about ECU before that game. I don't know that we'll know much about Carolina because Eastern Illinois just isn't that good. Um, so I say East Carolina. You, you want to talk? You, you want to say SEC game? You always got to worry about Tennessee, you know, at Tennessee. And I'll tell you why. South Carolina's gone up there with the top five team and lost. You know, South Carolina's gone up there with a uh, a team that, you know, against the Tennessee team that had trouble crossing the 50 and gives up 41 points. Uh, all three wins up there have been ugly, low-scoring affairs, 16-15, 14-3, 15-9. The 15-9 game was against a Tennessee team that did not win a single SEC game that year, and they're knocking on the door at the two-yard line first and go late. 
Rashad Fenton with a nice play for that one. It is always – this game is always close, South Carolina-Tennessee, but it's always a struggle for South Carolina to get over the top and win in Knoxville. So that concludes the mailbag uh, questions from Twitter. Got more coming, though. Uh, this is the inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com in the I help consulting mailbag. All right. James says, can you please explain the number situation? They got 23 spots with Prunty and Ross being 24 and 25. It feels like we're in it for so many good players. Also feels like we'll be full by September. The numbers always work out. Maybe talk about how many per position we have left. This question is post Samson commitment. I, I think receivers probably one to two, depending I think you could have as many as four more defensive linemen, depending on who wants to come. Um, I know now Mason Thomas is committed to Iowa State, so they're still in need of a linebacker or two. Um, you know, I doing the math quickly here, one running back probably will not be Ramon Brown, at least initially. Uh, you know, I also think this – there's going to be a lot of schools that are starting to look around at their numbers, like Tennessee, for example, they've lost 39 players from the portal. And they're going to be like, are you kidding me? I can only sign 25. (coughs) And then 25 the next year, you almost don't even make up your numbers in that regard. So I think the NCAA has to do something now, whether that's all right, we're not going to count portal guys as initial counters only against the 85, which I, I would be in favor of. That's fine. Um, but they're the ones that created this thing, the portal. Okay. So they need to be fair to coaches and, and teammates and programs and fans. I mean, cause you, you know, and I don't nobody out there listening to this is going to feel sorry for Tennessee, but, uh, I mean, man, you know, you look at that situation and it's like 40 guys. Wow. Um, so, so that's the thing. And I'm not, I don't have a list of like how many more James at each position because it is fluid. I mean, for example, well, what if you have a two really special receivers that want to come? You have a big need there. I don't think you're going to tell one of them to kick sand. And, and so then maybe you sign one less on the D-line, that kind of thing. But like Tony does say, Tony Morrell, uh, the numbers always work out. Thanks for the question, James. Dom says, I recently saw that Vegas has the over-under for regular season wins at 3.5. Seems pretty low looking at the schedule. If we can't piece together four wins – Eastern Illinois, ECU, Troy, Vandy, Tennessee, Missouri, Kentucky. I would consider the season extremely disappointing. I think Shane Beamer would too, and the players. I would love to hear what you think of the 3.5 for under over wins and your prediction on how the season will go. Thanks, JC Dom. All right, I said I'm not going to give a prediction because at times I've been off one way or the other. And so – you know, and people don't really think about like I said, hey, 2018, this could be an 11 and two football team. And guess what? It almost was. You don't blow the lead at A&M. You don't get behind. Again. I mean, sorry, you don't you don't blow the lead against Florida. You don't get behind against A&M. You know, uh, you don't have the situation at Kentucky where there's guys running wide open behind their secondary and receivers are either dropping the ball or. Jake's misfiring, you know, that's three. And then you're probably getting a better bowl and guys maybe don't opt out. I don't know, you know, wasn't that bad, but, uh, you know, I got killed for it. Uh, And I'm not scared to take the heat on a prediction. I just, there's just too many unknowns folks. I mean, for example, just specifically the linebackers. All right. So you're going to battle with Brad Johnson and Damani Staley in the spring. Well, you got three or four guys that are going to be either newcomers or are off of injury. You know, I don't know what to expect out of those guys. I don't know what to think about the safeties and who's going to move. To, I mean, you know, who, who will move to safeties? I assume somebody will, you know, receivers are a big question mark, but you do have pieces in place. The lines of scrimmage are good. You think Doty's going to be a pretty good quarterback. You know, he's not going to be perfect, but, Nobody is a quarterback, regardless of what some may think. Uh, you got really good running backs. Uh, you know, you, you've got a pretty good scheme of things from what I can tell, but I don't know. You know, I've never – I've watched Marcus Satterfield's play calling on YouTube at Temple, 
But this is a different kind of situation. I mean, this is a different, different offense in a lot of ways. And so we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, so I'm, I'm not going to get into predictions. Uh, I will say that the 3.5 does seem low to me. I will also say I think Vegas is probably looking at uh, an inexperienced team with a second-year quarterback that's unproven to a certain extent going to East Carolina on the road. East Carolina's got a lot of players back. So maybe they're a little hesitant about that. I know expectations at Troy are pretty high this year. Um, you know, and I, so that's, that's probably what they're looking at. Uh, this is also a team that's lost 19 of 27 games. So here's a factor too. Uh, and this is one thing I think that Shane Beamer has been working on since he got to Carolina is does this team have the, con- you know, you hear that term, know how to win. Does this team have the confidence to go win a close game in the SEC? Inevitably there's going to be a close game. So, you know, that's uh, that's the thing. So, uh, and that matters. No matter how talented you are, no matter how well coached you are, that matters. And that's one of the things Shane Beamer's trying to be working on, positive energy, confidence, that type of thing. Uh, but you never know until adversity hits. Uh, and so those are all things that uh, are – now, now, look, make me put a bet on it. I'm going over the 3.5 every day. Uh, I, I think that, you know, this team's good enough to win more than that. Now, another thing we didn't talk about is injuries. So, you know, there's been massive injury issues at this team, and I don't think the spring did anything to encourage anybody, although most of those were minor. But you had 25 guys out of the spring game. Everybody's got to get healthy. Uh, but I appreciate your question. So Eric comes in. Hope all is well. Previously asked about numbers in the secondary. Wanted to follow up now that a couple more guys have committed. Do you think they will start to zero in on a true corner now? And who in the secondary do have the best chance to land? I want to let you know Horton actually averaged 41 points per game in basketball. It wasn't just one game. I know it's small school skis, but impressive nonetheless. Absolutely, Eric. 41 points a game is difficult to average. <laughs> average. I uh, always enjoy the podcast. Have an awesome fourth. Um yeah, I, you know, I think they'd like to have a corner. I, I'll say this, though. I think people, you know, sometimes when they hear secondary, they're like, oh, corners, they don't have corners. But And it kind of depends on what they think and, and how some of these guys play this year. But, you know, you have three guys in Hill, Hunter, and Fortune who all redshirted last year, even though they had to play some down the stretch. You got Cam Smith, who's a young guy. You got Prunty, who was a freshman last year. Uh, in the mix now. Marcella Style is a corner out of Juco. Isaiah Norris is a corner out of Juco. Um, Platel is sort of a corner nickel transfer guy. Um, so you do have guys at that position that are young. Uh, where the issue is is safety because R.J. Roderick and Jalen Foster were the guys there, and beyond that it was walk-ons. Now I do think they'll probably slide some guys over um, you know, and Jalen Dickerson's still there too, but obviously health is a concern with him. They got Tyrese Ross in from Washington State. But safety's the bigger need. Safety, nickel, corner types, uh, versatile guys. Um, that does not mean cross-training, uh, you know, in, in the sense that it frustrated some of you that must champ cross-train guys. Uh, I don't know that it was the cross-training other than, you know, the fact that maybe McQuamu should have been a safety um, I didn't mind him at corner for a while, but, uh, you know, at, toward the end there, he probably should have been a safety. But anyway, uh, so that, that, that's the thing is that there are a lot of young guys that are penciled in at corner on the roster already. And I don't know. I mean, the only thing I heard about the secondary was in one of the scrimmages of the spring, surprisingly good. Uh, I thought some guys had some good moments in the spring game. Uh, I know it's a question mark, but uh, I think with the addition of Pronti, that 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 the need is definitely more safety. But you know, like Emory Floyd could play corner, uh, and so that's a guy that you know you, you may not think of as a true corner, but you know, ten five hundred meter, you know, that kind of guy. 
six one, you know, that could be the guy there. Uh, all right, Eric, thanks for the question. Keith says, what's your suggestion to get away, away tickets to football games if they're going to go into Tennessee game? Uh, you can buy some of those through the Gamecock Club, Keith. Um, but also, if you just want to get them off Ticketmaster, University of Tennessee, I, I can't see that game selling out. So, uh, yeah, Ticketmaster is a good way. It's also not bad sometimes just to show up and buy them from – Someone looking to unload them, you can usually get a good discount that way if you don't care about sitting like in the Carolina section or whatever. But um, I know the Gamecock Club tickets for Tennessee at times, they're either upper deck or sometimes like I know I bought some Gamecock Club tickets off somebody for the game in 2013, which I'd rather forget. But I was like right behind the band. Uh, And so sometimes it was hard to see. It was very close to the field, but sometimes it was hard to see. Uh, But, yeah, you'll enjoy Knoxville. It's, It's a lot of fun. Um, Darian says, love the podcast makes these long days of work go by a little faster. Anyways, what are some of the realistic 22 kids that 20 class of 2022 kids we could fill out of the class? How are we looking on Jaden Gibson? Um, Jaden Gibson, probably Florida right now. I think Gamecocks have not had him in on an official visit. Uh, I think Carolina's in it. I think Florida, you know, a lot of people in Florida think he's he's a done deal for the Gators. He's from that Orlando area. Uh, so I would say Florida right now. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, certainly the Gamecocks are in it. And I, I mean, the longer it goes, the more it's like, well, you know, who uh, who's going to realistically be in the class, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and the longer it goes, the more it could go either way. Obviously, Antonio Williams from Irmo, Dutch Fork, uh, top receiver on the board. Obviously, a guy that uh, they really like. Um, you still have uh, DJ Jackson from Sumter and Demetrius Watson from Fort Dorchester out there as guys on the D-line they like and want from in-state. That would kind of round out the in-state recruiting. You know, they're still in it for Taquan Fagans out of Alabama, the corner uh, Keenan Nelson Jr. is a highly rated guy to Philly. I think if he were to commit soon to South Carolina, he would be a take. Uh, he's listed as a corner, could play a lot of different spots. Um, those are just some guys. Ramon Brown's going to decide soon. I think that's going to be Virginia Tech or Maryland of all teams. But keep an eye on that guy if he commits to Virginia Tech. You don't know how things are going to go in Blacksburg this year. Uh, thanks for the question, Darian. Isaiah says, JC, just want to know where the USC ranks in the class rankings on ESPN right now, and how does ESPN differ from 24-7 when it comes to ranking recruits? Well, ESPN, they do their class rankings by – it's they just look at it and they say – in other words, Tom Luganbill, those guys, they're just like, okay, this is the number one class and this is the number two class, and you know they go through it and, and it's what a subjective. Everybody else is done by formula – um, in terms of the team rankings in 24-7 sports, uh, our team rankings are determined using a proprietary formula that calculates equally the composite rankings. You know, In other words, what ESPN, what rivals, what 24-7 all say, it's all weighted equally, and they spit out a team rankings. Um, ESPN, when they actually rank the recruits, you know, they see guys in person, they get out to events, that kind of thing, but it's heavily weighted more towards film. Uh, those guys all have experience on the college or pro football level watching film and grading it. Uh, and so that's a heavy emphasis there. Uh, and that's why sometimes you'll see ESPN with a certain grade or whatever, and it, it's, it's different than another grade. And they're not necessarily looking at different things. It's all about, you know, ranking football players. And I don't think, I think you'll find it's not that much different, but when you see an outlier from them, uh, it's usually that, you know, Hey, they really like this kid's film. And, you know, I, I worked with those guys for a while and I, I think they're really good at what they do. Uh, I think at football in general, different people look at different things uh, and, and value different things more. Cause I think it's such a scramble and a crapshoot when you're evaluating this game, I, I just, you know, you can look at 
all the resources the NFL has in terms of scouting and draft and all that, and they still only get it right like 70 percent of the time, maybe less than that. When you when you're talking about first rounders, and those guys are ponying up the big cash for an investment. You know, it's not like we're just sitting there. You know, uh, you know, like like you rank college recruits. It's it's you know you're kind of hoping you can bat 600, 650. It's tough because you got thousands of guys from different states, different levels of competition, going into different systems, that kind of thing. Uh, but the NFL guys, you know, even with all the resources they had and a more finite group of guys, you know, they still uh, still don't get it right. So it, it's really tough. So that's why I'm a fan of 24-7 sports composite. Different people have different philosophies. Uh, everybody's kind of really qualified with a track record, so they just feed everything in and it spits it out. So we'll see. Justin says, regarding D-line recruiting, which prospect do you like better, Demetrius Watson or DeAndre Martin, and why? Thanks, Mr. White. Uh, I'd probably lean more towards uh, Martin as a player right now. Watson, as far as upside, uh, like Martin's film better, like Watson's athletic upside maybe slightly more, but, but DeAndre Martin's a really good athlete too. That would be a tough call. If I took either, I'd probably lean more towards Martin just because, you know, I think he's got the same type of upside that, that Watson does probably rank Watson athletically a little higher, but he's closer, you know? So, so if, if I'm having to take one, I'm probably going to take the more sure thing. Now, if I'm South Carolina, maybe I take the in-state guy, you know, I think it's that, Close. So appreciate the question there, Justin. Keith says, do you think this current Carolina Clemson football era is the widest gap between the two teams? If there is a worse period for South Carolina in the rivalry, I'm curious when it was or what it was. Yeah, because, you know, when South Carolina was at its lowest point uh, in the SEC era, that would be 98-99. Clemson was 3-8 and eight and 6-6. Six and six. So they were nine and 14 while Carolina was one and 21. And there were two pretty close games. One was nine point win by the Tigers. One was a 10 point win in Columbia over a winless Carolina team. Uh, And then when Lou Holtz, I mean, it's been, you know, since Clemson went on this run, which they started in 20, they started the run in 2015 as a program. They started beating Carolina in 2014 um, you know, South Carolina's had some of its worst years in 20 years, and Clemson's been playing for national championships. So uh, Clemson did not play for a national championship, but once in the 80s, they maybe could have had a couple, uh, another chance to do it. Um, the 89 team at Clemson was really good, but uh, and that was a 45 nothing win for them. Uh, so there was a gap then. But uh, this is the widest it's been, in my opinion. Now, when you say gap, that means where are they as a program versus where is South Carolina? Uh, you know, I, I think talent-wise, there's a gap. Um, but, you know, that's a gap that's been in place for the entire Muschamp era. And I would like to think that, you know, it can't really get any wider. And so – I don't know that you say it's closing, but I think you'd say, well, Carolina's, you just focus on Carolina. You know, Carolina's getting better, especially on the lines of scrimmage. But I, I you know, I mean, you just got to get take your hat off to Clemson. They're rolling right now. You know, they are absolutely rolling. And, you know, there's nothing – I don't even think it's up to South Carolina to stop it. You know, I, I think it's up to the other teams in the ACC. You know, your North Carolinas and Florida States and Virginia Techs of the world, Miami, because they're so down. I mean, the ACC is so down now. You know, Clemson can have a down year. I think 2017 for them was sort of a down year, the Kelly Bryant year. Um, But they were the number one seed in the college football playoff because they were unbeaten. And, you know, they beat teams that year by kind of grinding them into submission. So – you know, running the ball, playing defense. 
and so they they to me weren't as uh, explosive as maybe the 2018 team, 2019 team, you know, those teams. So even when Clemson's down because of the shape of the ACC, they very rarely, very rarely trip up. So that's the, uh, that's the deal there. Noah says, can you explain the basics of what Gamecock athletes can and cannot do with NIL now? Thanks for all the hard work and the best Gamecock pod. Kind of went through that, uh, you know, mentioned some of that earlier, the YouTube thing. Uh, endorsement deals, stuff like that. I, you know, I think I'm not the only one that's kind of like, I don't have like a can and cannot do list. Uh, I don't think the NCA does either. So it's kind of a mystery. I'll have to get some more concrete answers on that and answer that later. Cause I just don't know. Harrison says, JC, I know you felt a little uneasy being put on the spot with position you, but I like your thoughts and picks behind several of them. His, here's Harrison's take on position use. This is good. DBU, Alabama, and second place is LSU. You'd have to go LSU behind him because 10 or 15 years, yeah, LSU's been second to none. Running back U is Georgia, second is Alabama. Yeah, and, and Alabama, you know, we talk about a gap. Alabama sort of closed the gap there with the Derrick Henrys and, you know, Mark Ingrams and Najee Harris. I mean, the, the backs they've had, Trent Richardson, those guys, uh, they've been on a roll. Whereas Georgia, you know, I, I remember the first Georgia team I ever, when I started paying attention to football, 1986, they had a back named Lars Tate. I think after that they had Rodney Hampton. One year they had Terrell Davis, who was a transfer from Long Beach State. He didn't rush for 600 yards, goes to the NFL, is one of the best backs in the league. Um, all the way through Gurley and Marshall to Chubb and Michelle and Swift. I mean, they Georgia – I mean, you lose a running back to Georgia, it's just, hey, chalk it up to to do that. But the last 15 years, Bama's been pretty good. Wide receiver, you, Bama, second is Ohio State. Um, I think Ohio State's closing the gap there. Their receiver, receivers and receiver recruiting has been sick lately. Uh, and I think Clemson could get in there. Uh, historically, Tennessee talks about being wide receiver, you. But, you know, that's that's history. D-line U, Bama, Ohio State. Uh, I would agree to a certain extent there. LBU, agree with your pick. Penn State, my dad would tell me stories of how Penn State has a rich tradition of being a linebacker factory. Micah Parsons will be the next one. Yeah, tied in. Notre Dame, agree with your pick. Got to praise the Gamecocks for being one of the top teams in terms of active tight ends. Praying Oscar Delp decides to add his name to the chapter. O-line U, split between Georgia or Bama. I don't know. You know, I I, I think Georgia had a really good offensive line. You know, I I don't know. I'd I'd have to – I agree with Alabama, but Alabama sort of goes all over and gets offensive linemen. Uh, I don't know. Got to be some big – like Michigan maybe. I don't know. But that's interesting. It's always interesting to talk about all this, man. Uh, I just – I don't know that I would have an SEC – outside of Bama, which you can make an argument, I don't know that I have an SEC team as O-line you just because I, I don't know. But, you know, you can't argue with the NFL production and all that. So, Harrison, please email me anytime with anything. Uh, Eric, final question of the iHeart Consulting Mailbag. I'm sorry, iHelp Consulting Mailbag. It's iHeart Radio, iHelp Consulting. Please give Daniel a call. Save money on your business. Uh, hey, JC, hope all is well. What do you make of the new cornerback offer from Bama? Rodney Johnson thought his tape was impressive. I know some mentioned that might be because of concern or where we stand with guys like Fagans and Nelson, but what I saw personally is he's too good not to offer Eric. That's exactly what the deal is. I think, you know, I like Fagans and Nelson because they're they're bigger corners, don't get me wrong, but I know that they certainly make the class on paper look good, but I think Rodney Johnson's a heck of a player. Watch what happens with him, too, because a lot of times you'll have kids from Alabama that pop up and they get offers, and then the the, the in-state boys start sniffing around. You know, you never know what's going to happen there. But then you have situations like Ladarian Craig last year, dare I say Captain Munerlin and Darian Stewart and those guys before him that ended up leaving Alabama that that ended up being pretty good players as well. But I I like – heck, I I think that you nailed it. I think it's a too good to offer 
type of situation and not a backup thing. And I, and I think that's one thing a lot of people have to realize is, especially this cycle where everybody is behind in evaluations. Okay. Everybody's behind, right? College programs are behind. Analysts are behind. Everybody's behind, you know, it's playing catch up. College programs, recruiting boards are not going to mimic the rankings even more so this year because you're going to find a guy like Rodney Johnson that pops up. You're going to find an Nick Imanuare, you know, those guys. So, so we'll see what happens. Um, but uh, I don't think it's any, you know, look, do I think South Carolina is in the, dr- the absolute driver's seat for Keenan Nelson? No. Fagans, no. I don't. I don't feel that way at all. But uh, I do think that uh, they're in it for both of those guys, and they didn't offer Rodney Johnson just because they're like, ah, oh, man, we're not getting these guys. So, anyway, that is a very big episode of Inside the Gamecocks podcast. I'll be on the lock on the Gamecocks podcast later today. If you're a patron of Keith's, you'll get to hear me talk about guys and, and all that good stuff. Also, listen to JC and Morgan. Stay tuned to thebigspur.com. Special thanks to Heritage Digital and iHelp Consulting, our two sponsors. Uh, please patronize those Gamecock affiliated businesses, proud sponsors of the podcast. Thank them for all they do because allows us to do more episodes, and we'll have many more episodes later this week. This is J.C. Sherbert signing off. Hopefully everyone had a wonderful fourth. This is the Inside the Gamecocks podcast.